1: It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato. breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York. A couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. you Uminiora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it. A podcast for Giants fans who are rabid. Who can't wait for Sundays. The NFC East the Fantasy League standards. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter.
2: Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. Join as always my co-host Nick Filato to break down the New York Giants football defense against the Las Vegas Raiders in week nine. That was highlighted by key plays, keystone, Giants bend, but they didn't break. And that is, I don't think it was the most dominant defensive performance I've ever seen. I thought they were better across the board against the Seahawks because in this game, they actually did give up a lot of yards. They were in against the Seahawks. And honestly, like, you know, the Raiders went at the end to almost tie the game. And it was pretty easy for them to drive then. Like, football's about making those key plays. Quincy Roche bending the edge, getting through, stripping the ball. The Giants are the Giants forcing an incomplete pass in the red zone later in the game. Got a pressure with just a three man rush. Xavier McKinney picks it. another interception on a out and up, like, where he, you know, these plays are what define games. These are reasons why win and lose and they finally won a close game that like away all season long we've been talking about how many they've lost like the balcons the red uh the football team you know and the chiefs games that they've lost like this and now they finally were able to so it was great to see man it was just cool to see this and get a win you know in a close game like this so what was your way from watching
1: the defense on film they came away with the interceptions wells right dan how many times throughout the season were we like, oh Dory should have just held on to the football there or James Bradbury if you just football there? There were times where the Giants put themselves into position similar game where they dropped the interception and that ultimately proved to be the reason that they lost the football game. In terms of here, it's just being opportunistic. It's one of our biggest gripes earlier in the season. It was taking advantage of those opportunities. They took opportunities. Yes, they allowed 400 yards. Yes, they were bend-dome. But as we discussed on the last podcast, another reason why the Raiders had more plays run was because they were on the field for time due to them possessing the ball at the end of the first pick six and then having another really long drive after that. And the defense didn't break, despite the fact that they ran 67 plays more out of it, which I feel like is a testament to their character to not be fatigued, essentially.
2: Yeah, I agree. Biggest pluses for this defense over the past two weeks, great games, and less so in that Carolina game, because, you know, an offensive game plan that moved the ball a little bit. But one of the biggest pluses two weeks is they've done it despite being on the field over, and over again, thanks to a pathetic offense. I mean, this created 245 yards of total offense in a full game. It's hard to even fathom how bad that really is. I'm not trying to be a jerk about this thing, but like, you know, they're averaging four points per play on offense. That's unbelievably bad. That's like, you know, hunting all the time in this game. Just, you know, a couple first down the run, then a punt and the defense had to come right back up very often in this game. Like you said, they were on the field for incredible at one point, just because they made that pick six and then were thrown right back on the but also because this offense did nothing. They didn't do their part. Like This is not a good game by the offense. The run game was good, but that doesn't lead to a good offense. Good offense is when you score touchdowns. Good offense is when you stay on the field. Good offense is when you generate uh, explosive plays in the passing game or even in the run game, you know, if you can do that as well, which is harder to do. So that's even more to me a testament to what this defense did. The fact that they had to keep coming back on the field over and over and over again, and they didn't break despite that at any point. Um, And I, you know, they bent, they, they obviously bent in this game and they, they could have broken in some spots. They, the red zone play with Darren Waller, which we're talking about, it was a wide open touchdown that Derek Carr missed. Now there was a tiny bit of pressure, not too much, but Waller had two or three steps and those two or three steps came when he first put his foot on the goal line. So it wasn't even like he was two or three steps, but also toward the boundary where you need to fit a ball in. This was just an easy touchdown that the giants were able to escape from. Um, and that's going to happen. There's going to be breaks. Like we can't, you know, it's not a bad thing for the Giants to get some breaks in the game. They, every team else, it feels like every other team has gotten breaks against the Giants. Maybe the Giants can get some breaks. And I feel like they did get breaks in this game. If I'm going to be honest with you, Nick. Uh, and I don't feel like the three, t- the, you know, all these turnovers are that sustainable. If I'm going to be honest with you. I think that generally speaking, if we want this team to be really good at some point, this is not the formula for 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 winning anything real. Uh, You know, having a bend, but don't break defense that makes that is required to make incredible plays in a game and having an offense that just runs the ball for some first downs, but doesn't ever score. But in this game, it worked, you know, it worked. And thankfully we have so much good things, so many good things to talk about with this defense that led to it working. There were great players on film. There were great plays on film. There were great stops and there were great, you know, just individual drives from this defense. So let's dive right into it there. Let's first talk about the first drive of the game though which is probably not going to be our favorite drive to talk about because the Giants let up a 10 play 73 yard touchdown drive what were some of your key takeaways from that first drive?
1: Dan I was concerned man that that first defensive drive I was kind of pulling on my collar a little bit because Greg Olson and the Raiders offense were really establishing the running game hitting play action passes they were consistently picking up first downs and I felt like Josh Jacobs looked really good on this drive, forced a few missed tackles against defensive backs, bouncing it outside, Saquon Barkley-esque type of stuff, you know. And then that last second and four run had just a gigantic hole on a split zone run where Shelton was just tossed on a deuce block and combo block. And that's just not what we expected from Danny Shelton, because he's supposed to be the type of player, 350, 355 pounds, whatever he is, who can anchor down on those situations. And he just didn't. And then even earlier in that drive, I liked how the Raiders ran and, RPO and Carr thought twice about squeezing the ball in on a glance route after seeing Logan Ryan kind of fly down from the safety position. And instead, he ended up throwing a bubble that was off target and dropped by Hunter Renfro. I feel like Patrick Graham employs those little trap coverages quite often with Logan Ryan. We saw it a couple times in this game we're going to go over. Did you pick up on that as well?
2: Yeah, I saw that. I saw him use a lot of uh, the invert. I'm not a lot, but I saw a couple plays at least where he tried the inverted cover too, where you see those mm-hmm. backs rotate right at the snap, which I think is something that's worked at times for the Giants really well. And then at times it has worked really poorly. It depends kind of on the the quarterback matchups there. Like we've seen it work very well against in my mind, like some of the lesser quarterbacks, but it was interesting to see him kind of all game. It felt like he was in that like robber type role in some way or some form. Logan Ryan just try, you know, and that took away a lot of what the Raiders wanted to do, I thought, in the passing game.
1: It did, man. And I know a player referencing, too. It was a deep shot where James Bradbury had outside leverage against a streaking wide receiver who was kind of going up the field. And Carr didn't even anticipate the inverted cover too. And Dory Jackson probably should have. Intercepted this ball. If this yep. was a better cornerback in terms of catching the football, it should have been intercepted. That's a little bit later on in this game. But, dude, we also saw the cat and mouse game that we always talk about in terms of running the football with Josh Jacobs and Tay Crowder on that six yard first and 10 run. Crowder filled the B gap and Jacobs just bounced it outside right around Trent Harris for a nice game. And I didn't think Trent Harris looked all that great early in this game as well. Could be one reason why he didn't see the field as much later in the game.
2: Yeah, for sure. A couple things I wanted to point out from the first drive. Really great route by uh, Renfro on the touchdown against Bradbury. Like he's a, it's Hunter Renfro is a really good route runner. Like it's funny that he's in the NFL in some regard. Like you see the pictures of him and he looks like somebody who could be like an accountant for an NFL team, but he's a receiver. He's a starter. And this is part of the reason why he runs really good routes, specifically in the red zone. It's, you know, I don't even, like, look at it like a knock on Bradbury on that play. I'm saying, like, eh, that's just a great route run by this guy. Like, some people be like, oh, why can't Bradbury hang in coverage against somebody like Renfro? Well, a lot of people have struggled to hang in coverage against player like Renfro. So that's the reality of that. One thing I wanted to point out from that first drive, uh, the third and four play uh, at 8-17 mark. So here's my here's my thoughts on this play. The Giants, this is something I would like to see the Giants run a lot more often, or even at all, because they haven't. And why do I want to see them run this type of play? Because on this stop route to Renfro, instead of them running what's expected here, the stop route at the sticks, Renfro has that, he fakes the stop and then runs a go from this, and It's wide open space for Carr. He has a huge window to throw into, and they complete a 20-yard pass. The Giants really, really, really need to gas these types of stop routes a lot more often because they're running, and why do they need to do it? Because they're running such a high percentage of them on these third and short situations really on all downs are running a lot of these stop routes so they need to really work into their game plan coming out of the bye week to gas them more because there's going to be opportunities like the raiders had here this was just such a nice play call by the raiders they knew they could get if they run this little stop and go type play at the sticks they're going to get a free release and they're going to get something where there's not really you know any kind of real threat of a safety coming over the top and it was really in now of course like I'm pretty sure this was the route Nick you can correct me that later on the Giants were like McKinney was like I saw them run that earlier and I knew I could I knew it might come back at the end of the game you know later in the game and that's also the play McKinney jumped for an interception so you obviously don't want to run it too often to the point where the defense is predicting it or you ha- you know if you have a safety you can make a play on it you don't want to put that at risk but it just seems like something the Giants need to work in a little bit more
1: I love the fact that you brought this play up. It's not the same exact play that Xavier McKinney was referencing. That one happens actually on the next drive. We'll go over okay. here in a little bit. It was more of an out and up. It was a different formation as well, but it's a similar type of concept here. And this is a third and four play, like you said, eight seventeen left in the first quarter, right? Tight reduced two by two stacks on both sides and the giants line up a man coverage and the giants aren't lining up man coverage all that often. I think they did it about like 13 or 14% of the time in this game, but every time it was on these third and short third and medium type of situations, excellent play call by Greg Olson, man, because you use the guy on the line of scrimmage to clear out. So you give a free release to Hunter Renfro, who's going to be isolated against Darnay Holmes with Brian Edwards, clearing out a Dory Jackson from basically the numbers, Deep, So there's going to be just wide open space because they're basically aligned on the hash. There's wide open space from the hash to the sideline with Darnay Holmes on inside leverage. So you run that little stop right there. Hunter Renfro turns his head towards Derek Carr and then Holmes rightfully bites down on it. Hunter Renfro just explodes upfield. I want to see the Giants run this. So much coming out of the bye week. I thought that was an excellent point by you because it's simple. When you get that man coverage look and you align induced stacks like this, you're going to have an advantage because there's no way that safety is going to get over the top here unless he starts shading in that direction right at the snap, which Xavier McKinney does not do. So I love the fact that you pointed that out. I think that's an excellent point by you.
2: And I really just I I hope they do that of the bye, but I don't have that much faith because it, I do believe it's partially what Garrett is all about. Like he wants to get to the sticks. He wants to move the sticks. He wants to try a high percentage spacing type route that will get him to the sticks. Um, and, and partially, I feel like like we talked about on the last podcast with Jones, I almost feel like it's a little bit baked in at this point, like that play where Jones snaps back and tries to throw that little comeback to Slayton when he instead has Tony running the seam. I don't know. I just feel like it's starting to get baked in because of Garrett because like everybody's like, oh, well it's such a good thing that Garrett returns for a second season because Daniel Jones doesn't have to learn a new system and the same terminology and he can grow from that. I do believe in general in the idea of a quarterback will be better in the same system and he'll have a better chance in the same system, but not if that system is kind of impeding his progress and his development and his growth. And I do have some concerns still that Garrett's system is impeding Daniel Jones's growth for reasons like this one and just an overall philosophy of how to, how to play, and I don't want to say how to play quarterback, but how to play offense in the NFL, how an offense should operate, what the offense's objective is uh, on the football field. I don't fully buy into Garrett's objective, for an offense i don't fully buy into joe judge i definitely don't buy into joe judge's objective for an offense and i am concerned with those things long term for this football team if i'm going to be honest but this is one way that hopefully they can improve what they've put out there because what they put out there so far has not been a good offensive team and that's pretty obvious they can look themselves in the mirror and say that they i can you know we can have all the excuses every day for it the offensive line this the offensive line that the injuries this the injuries that but there are ways to improve the offense like you just went over nick And they don't seem that difficult to me. They seem pretty simple. That doesn't seem like anything that is going to need to, like, shock the world if they start doing things like that. And that's not, you know what I mean? Like, that's not like you you start to do something like you just broke down, and that's not anything shocking to the system. That's not anything that requires, oh, you need an amazing O-line. You need an amazing this and amazing that. No, you really don't. Um, Derek Carr didn't have that much time on that play. He kind of just got rid of the ball. in a pretty timely fashion, and he knew what he wanted to do.
1: We saw this against Cleveland last year when Freddie Kitchens was the play caller because Jason Garrett was out in COVID protocol. Now, Freddie Kitchens obviously still has some impact on this offense because he's still on the coaching staff, so I'm hoping that it does get implemented. And, Dan... We always talk about how predictable this Jason Garrett offense is in terms of the stick routes in terms of these quick curls and these third and medium, third and intermediate situations. what is one way to get the defense to stop sitting on those routes so consistently? It's to use the double move. So I feel like it just this if you show this once or twice, it's going to overall could create explosive plays and it could overall just help your offense if you want to still maintain the fact that you're going to be calling all these stick and curl routes.
2: Couple great points there by you, Nick. The first being that we did see a little bit more of this with a lot more of this with Freddie Kitchens, which gives you the idea that okay, maybe it's not system based as much as play caller based. And that's something to consider. That's something to think about. I don't think Jason Garrett should be back next season almost under any circumstance. But that seems like something that's in the realm of possibilities for the Giants, especially if they win some of these winnable games down the stretch. So that's something to consider long term if the health of this team uh, with him as the coordinator when you do consider the fact like you just said things look different with Freddie kitchens calling the plays the other thing you said is this it reminds me of what we talked about all season long when it comes to getting john ross on the field and trying vertical shots with ross at least one per game to change how the defense plays you the defense has got it feels like at this point man the defense has really what you said what was the word you used last night on the podcast i'm trying to remember it um They're tracking. That was the word you used. They're tracking what the Giants have been doing, and it's stale. What the Giants are doing on offense is super stale right now, and all you have to do to change that is do things like you said, you know, gas these routes and get the defense thinking, okay, these can be gassed. We can't track it. We can't break on these in-breaking routes. We can't play to the sticks. But if you're not going to do that, they're not going to change how they play them. And that's what we're seeing a lot of defenses doing against the Giants right now. And hopefully that's something they can improve coming out of the bye. It's hard to have too much faith in that, given what the coaching staff has shown over this sample size so far, which is, you know, pretty big sample size at this point, one and a half seasons. Um, But, you know, we hope it's something they can do. And it just uh, this was a good example of something the Raiders are doing to kind of keep the Giants defense off guard. And in general to at this point, you know, create an explosive play It was a 20 yard completion to uh, Hunter Renfro in this one.
1: Giants roster that are that are well capable of running a route like that at a high level with Kadarius, Tony, and Sterling Shepard. Like both those guys can thrive in that situation, just like Hunter Renfro did here.
2: I honestly feel like anyone, like I feel like Galladay could do this too, right? You throw the ball up to Galladay, he might not have incredible separation, but he'll have enough separation where all you have to do is put that ball in his catch range, and he's one of the best contested catch and body control in the air type receivers. So, like, I feel like you can yeah, really yeah. run this with anyone.
1: You, you could. I'm just talking about who is the optimal sure. receiver that you want to use in those situations. And it's typically the ones who really thrive with their short area quickness ability to decelerate and accelerate on a dime. And those two receivers more fit that profile than Kenny Galladay. But you're right. Galladay can win a contested catch coming out of his break very easily. He's one of the best in the league at doing that when he's fully healthy. Giants football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, Fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick.com. Dot com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. To use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash BANTER.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
2: Yep, no doubt about it. All right, let's move on to the second drive. A better one, a much better one for the Giants. Five plays 17 yards, or I'm sorry, three plays five yards for the Raiders here. Just a pure three and out. One thing that stood out to me on this drive, and I'll get here to take Nick, the first and 10 play. From the Vegas 21 with 231 left in the qu- in the first quarter for those following along on game pass, Dexter Lawrence just absolutely t- tosses a dude down. So Crowder gets the penetration, which is cool, but without Dexter Lawrence tossing his dude down, there is a cutback lane to some extent for something, I would think here. But the actual result of this is an absolute no gainer because Dexter Lawrence just absolutely tosses a man down.
1: Yeah, he does. And this is good penetration by Tay Crowder. He sees the fullback going in that direction. So he's trying to undercut, get underneath that fullback or over the top, maybe I should say. And then that forces Josh Jacobs to bounce back to Dexter Lawrence, who just uses, I think that's Brandon Parker there the right tackle right now. He just uses his momentum against him. And then you can see, man, he uses his outside arm to grab his shoulder pad. And that's where he just tosses him to the ground. And this is the capability of Dexter Lawrence, man. The thing I think I love most about this play from Dexter Lawrence is after he tosses Parker to the ground, he sinks his hips. And you just see this crazy bend where his body is is essentially just slanted to the ground and he somehow does not fall down lose any balance he just recollects himself changes direction squares up to josh jacobs and makes that tackle These are the type of things we talk about with dexter lawrence bro he has unique flexibility for a dude of his size bro he really does he's not gonna bend the edge and win with upfield pressure all the time but men who are 350 pounds should not move like he does on this play
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, Dexter Lawrence had his best game of the season for the Giants, I think, at least in my mind, from what I've seen on the film. There's still, you know, he's a good player on this roster. He's not what I would want from the 17th overall pick, to be honest with you. If I'm taking an IDL in the top 20, I need Simmons or I need Donald types. That's just, or, or Chris Jones types. That's just, he, in my mind, he doesn't impact the passing game enough. And that's really what comes down, what wins and losses are based on. But he can make these plays all day, every day, and he plays a huge role in their run defense. As does Leonard Williams. By the way, I think Leonard Williams is even better against the run in my mind than Lawrence, which is crazy to say because they're both really strong. And Leonard Williams adds a lot more in the passing game than Dexter Lawrence. But like you always say, man, you know people who can who are this big and can move like this can make plays in a in a phone booth. Can make really good plays in a phone booth. That may not always lead to the pressures they need and taking over a game uh, from a, taking over a passing game from a pressure standpoint, like we saw Jeffrey Simmons do on Sunday night football or, and like we've seen Aaron Donald do his whole career, but it can lead to nice run stops like this one. And that puts you, you know, the defense the offense in a tough spot They're in second and long after this play by Lawrence, they might've been in second and manageable. Otherwise anything else stand out to you on this drive? I thought it was cool to see a nice little corner blitz from Holmes on third down, but not, nothing else too crazy for me.
1: Yeah. So for me, there were two main things I kind of wanted to bring up about this drive and, they're both related to Xavier McKinney. Remember last week when we discussed how Patrick Ram was using McKinney in a multitude of ways? Yes. Yeah, man. So, well, we saw that again quite often in this game. The second intending completion to Waller off the play-action boot ended up falling to the deck because Darnay Holmes blitzed, as you said. He blitzed the play side rollout, which was the weak side of the formation. This meant that McKinney, who was originally aligned in a two-high set, 15 yards off the ball, dropped over the number two receiver at the snap, flying to the flat, similar to what a safety would do in cover three sky, say. Graham did this often last week. He did it here, on the second and four, and he did it later in the game on McKinney's pick six. McKinney's ability to kind of quickly get into position, stay square, be disciplined, and use good reactionary quickness in man coverage allows him to have success in this role, and he can cover the route tree, man. He can really execute any type of route that someone's going to run. We saw him carry Tyreek Hill. We saw him follow Darrell Williams in the flat against the Chiefs last week, coming from 15 yards depth. The way Patrick Graham trusts Xavier McKinney, it's it's huge to me, and he ends up coming up with the interception. We're going to break down a little bit later. And another thing I wanted to mention about McKinney on this Raiders second drive, if you look at the first play of the drive, and you referenced this a little bit before, Dan, it's not the same offensive formation, nor is it the same defensive alignment, but the post-snap rotation has McKinney dropping to the middle of the field after aligning in a quarters-look pre-snap. Why is this important? Well, the Raiders ran a double move against Bradbury, an out-and-up, which is the same move where McKinney secured his second interception of the game. McKinney read car and he reacted well on this play, but it was a back shoulder throw and he had more ground to cover. So he didn't end up getting into position to even come away with an interception. But McKinney saw the play, man. Like you mentioned before, man, he put it into his back pocket and he remembered it for later in the game. And that's the same route concept against Bradbury that he ends up coming up with this interception, man. And the fact that he was able to recognize that shows a lot of growth from a mental standpoint. So both of his later interceptions, the play that it was the same play but he came away with the pick six that was ran on this drive, obviously didn't result in the pick six. And then the second interception, he saw that same route concept and then diagnosed it very quickly, came away with the interception on the sidelines. I just love to see little things like this on film and how these young players are developing mentally. And that's something that we criticized McKinney for earlier in the season. But right here, it seems like it's starting to kind of all come together a little bit.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And McKinney won NFC defensive player of the week today. It was announced a well-deserved he put a touchdown on the board himself with his pick six, put another three points on the board with his second interception on a play, like you said, that was incredibly high IQ. I think it's important to note that while we did criticize him a bit for early in the season, it's a, it was essentially his rookie. This is essentially his rookie year. Like He came in late last year after breaking his foot. I know there's a such thing as mental rest, but they don't really matter. They're, they're, not, they don't really matter. They're very overstated in my mind. you got to get on the field. You have to see it with your own eyes. You have to get used to the speed of the game. And you have to start to see things play out for it to be in your mental memory and for you to adjust to it. And that's what we're starting to see with McKinney. In my mind, he's really just starting to scratch the surface. There's a reason why Nick Saban you know, referred to him as one of the smartest players he's ever coached and gave him full control of that defense as the quarterback of the defense from the secondary, a position that's usually held by the backers. And it's because he's a really high IQ safety But for me, it's not even just the high IQ stuff. It's not just you know the film stuff or him memorizing things that he's seen and reflecting on them. It's the instincts, man. It's the the angles he takes, and I don't know if that can be taught. I don't know if that can be learned. I just kind of feel like that's something that he has that really defines who he is as a prospect and gets me really excited about what he can be moving forward. He can be a big-time addition to this defense. He was in this game. He was – in my mind, the biggest reason they won this football game. I don't know if anyone could be even made an argument. An argument can be made for anyone else to be in the conversation for the re- for the biggest factor in this win. He put seven on on, on the board himself of twenty three, and he put another three on the board. In my mind, like yeah, if there's interception, the Giants move the ball slightly. Not much, and then they kicked a long field. You know, not a long field goal, a decent sized field goal. Um, but even if they hadn't moved the ball and there's a couple grind out first downs, they they would have still probably been in field goal range after that interception, or damn close to it. So I think he's scratching the surface, man, and it's really exciting to see because this team is not even just this defense, man. This team needs draft picks to turn into all pro type players. That's the only path for them to be a super bowl contender. That's what we need. I, for me at least like that's always my goal. I'm gonna for the rest of the time covering this team be focused on Super Bowls and not grind out type you know and, and not teams that can like grind to a seven seed. I want a Super Bowl roster at some point. I want to I want that to be the goal. And the only way that's gonna happen is these first and second round picks turning into all pro players who impact the passing game in a big way. And that's exactly what we saw from McKinney today. So we'll talk more about that, obviously, as we move forward, because this isn't his last play of the game. But I love how you point out just the high IQ stuff from him. It's so cool to see.
1: It's excellent to see. I love little things like that. And and you notice it throughout the game because a lot of these offensive coordinators, they have favorite plays going into the game and how they want to attack their opponent. And I felt like the Raiders really – put a put a lot of uh, priority on using out and up routes because there were a lot of times they aligned tight reduced splits from either bunch or stack and then their outside guy ran out like he was running a flat show his head towards the quarterback and then jolted up the field the fact that the Giants were like all right I saw that once we're not going to allow you to get away with that again I love the fact that the Giants defense made them pay for that yeah exactly right
2: Moving forward to the next drive, this is one of the more impressive ones for me, at least for the defense all game, because the Giants didn't do them any favors. Daniel Jones fumbled the football. He gave them to, to the Raiders on a really short field. This is a tough spot for the defense, coming right back onto the field seven seconds later after being on the field for, you know, the, the you know, for, I know it was a three and out, but you're still just on the field. You come right back onto the field. And the Giants do an excellent job here on a short field of, holding the raiders once they get into the red zone with two really great individual plays that i have written down the first one was by my boy on second and goal and the second one was by bradbury so let's get into that um i want to talk a little bit about a few plays in the red zone and get your take on it and see if you had any other thoughts on the plays before the red zone, the first and goal in the red zone. I thought it was a really great play by Leonard Williams to hustle, come off his block and stop the Renfro cutback. You don't see defensive linemen making plays like that all the time. Quick nod to Williams on that one. But the biggest play on this drive for me was the second and goal PBU by Adore Jackson, because he stays with him in coverage undercuts him and the ball is placed in a really good spot for Edwards to make a touchdown. You can just see based on the timing of the route, and the ball placement for a player like Edwards, who's a bigger receiver. This is going to result in a touchdown a lot of the time, but Adore Jackson gets an incredible PBU here. And then finally on that third and goal, you know, we see what we've seen a lot of lately, which is Bradbury matching up against the best player on the field at that time. And that's Darren Waller. Even though he's a tight end, we saw it last week with Travis Kelsey as well. And it's a really nice PBU here by Bradbury as well. So I was really impressed with the red zone defense here. I think this was kind of the first sign that like, okay, look, this defense will bend, but it's not going to break.
1: Yes, and on the Adoree play, that was a tip pass by Tate Crowder on that one play. He gets his hand in the throwing window, tips it, and then it actually ends up being, I think, a better-placed ball than it would have been if it was just normally thrown. And Adoree Jackson's all over Brian Edwards on that play. So I love the overall coverage from the Giants on both of these second and third down plays, and I could break that down here in a second too because it was a lot of man coverage, man. I mean, Logan Ryan, you see him drop to the goal line, got underneath – the inside release of Brian Edwards, I felt like Carr did a good job waiting for Edwards to pass into the second throwing window. but on when that happened, and this is why it ended up being a take Crowder PBU because Logan Ryan removed the first throwing window. Once it gets in the second throwing window, Crowder just tracks Carr and tips that pass. and that's on the second and six. And then on the third down, it was similar. It was man coverage, but there was no play-action element like there was on second down. The Giants used both of their safeties to clog the middle of the field. It was very similar to what Graham called against Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill last week. Holmes aligned on the outside of Hunter Renfro, funneling him inside towards Xavier McKinney on the pivot route, that was eliminated, and then Logan Ryan was playing the goal line in the middle of the field, baiting any inside breaking routes from either Darren Waller or Brian Edwards. Ryan gets underneath Edwards' slant, and Bradbury kind of drapes himself all over Waller's inside pivot, forcing the incompletion, gets his hand in there. And I also saw on this drive the Giants dropped eight twice, so they weren't really bringing the pressure against Derek Carr. They would just have Reggie Ragland kind of spying and taking to the—or— I almost said Devontae Booker because he was on the Raiders last year, taking Kenyon Drake if he were to leak out of the backfield over the middle of the field. I felt like this was a, a solidly executed defense by the Giants personnel, and I do love the fact that we've been seeing this, what, two weeks in a row now since Carolina was hardly in the red zone against the Giants. Two weeks in a row, the Giants have been using this double buzz man coverage look. So basically both safeties buzz down, and then they have a bunch of different rules plugged into that, and they usually just clog the middle of the field and trust their – cornerbacks and their defensive backs to win in man coverage. And they've been winning in man coverage. Like we said earlier, man, they don't run it too often, but when they do, it's in these high leverage situations and they typically do a good job at it.
2: Yeah, exactly. You broke that down perfectly. It's just cool to see that it's happening in these high leverage situations, like you said, because that's like the we we talk all how long have we talked about how poor this Giants offense is set up right now, you know, in prioritizing field position, prioritizing, you know, establishing the run being physical and then only scoring three points a lot of the time, because, you know, it's not all the all the time doesn't seem at least like their objective is let's score seven at all costs. But It's the flip side for the defense, because if they can do this in these high leverage spots and hold the Raiders or any other team they're playing, the Chiefs are in this position as well at times, to three points, they're going to win football games, assuming the offense can do their point, you know, can do their job at some point and score touchdowns and get explosive plays. This may not happen right away who knows they might need you know to get some guys back andrew thomas of course but if you can hold the opposing teams to field goals over and over then you're going to be the team we've always we've talked about the giants offense being a lot of the season and just great to see from the giants defense just it's what you want to see. I mean, you're not. This is not in my mind. And you, I could ask your take on this. And it's fair to say, like, no NFL defense. This is not a defense that's gonna like completely sh- shut down a team from creating any kind of yards at any point. Constant three and outs. There's really no defense in the NFL that can do that right now. Like. I would say maybe at this point, even like the Titans are closest to that and they're not that defense at all. It just seems like that's the state of the NFL right now where there's no absolutely dominant Ravens 2000 type defenses out there. And I don't know when we'll see the next one, to be completely honest with the way the rules have changed and the way the game has changed. But if you can just stop your opponent from scoring seven points, I think that's probably objective number one these days for an NFL defense. Would you kind of agree with that take? It's going to be tough to kind of see another Ravens 2000 defense emerge.
1: Yeah, unless the rules actually swing back towards the defensive side. But with the proliferation right. of fantasy sports and the excitement of the offense, I don't really see that exactly happening. But getting yeah. three points off this type of drive is huge, man. You know, your quarterback fumbled the football here, and you were put into a, such a crappy situation, and you hold them the three. I mean, that's, that's a gigantic win. Sign me up for that any day. Yeah,
2: you nailed it, and great to see. Okay, now we move on. 10-7 Raiders, they obviously were able to put up three at least. And here comes another three and out from the Giants' defense, despite the fact that the offense did pretty much nothing to help them at that point. Though they did burn a ton of clock. They, they, they went 11 yards in eight plays as far as the net goes, the Giants, on the next drive, but they burned five and a half minutes, which is pretty funny. Just kind of a, a a little bit of a statement on the Giants' offense these days. It took them five minutes and 24 seconds to create uh for themselves 11 yards of total offense uh in the end is the net result but giants defense gets back on the field and here they are forcing another uh three and out here with a great pbu from leonard williams who was active all game on second down and then i thought on third down a really nice recovery and coverage from adory jackson what did you take away from this three and out
1: Brian Edwards probably should have caught that football. It was it was nice coverage by Odori Jackson there, but he was breaking into the middle of the field. I thought Carr put it into a solid place, but it wasn't caught, and that's that's excellent. But I really wanted to look at that second and seven play because I love what Quincy Rocher ends up doing as well, man. So the Giants ran two man under it's a man coverage play on that third down, but I really want to just discuss the second down. Leonard Williams knocks it down. You brought that up, Quincy Rocher showed a lot of processing here because Roche, he only had six coverage snaps in this game. And and that's impressive, right? Before the snap, we see Roche start pointing up towards the direction of Kenyon Drake, right? He starts pointing, signifying possible kind of vulnerability in the flat area because of the reduced split that the Raiders had with Brian Edwards. So he starts pointing at Kenyon Drake and Drake was Roche's assignment. So what I'm thinking he's saying is he's going to work over the top of this pick route that he anticipated coming. So Edwards ends up running a pick route. You could see him run directly at Roche, but Roche just flows over the top effortlessly and gets himself into position to close with on Kenyon Drake in that situation. And I thought that was just a really, really smart play by Quincy Rocher, who is a outside linebacker edge guy. He's not someone known for coverage. As I said, he only played six coverage snaps in this game, but the fact that he was able to process that and put himself in a position to make a play, because that ball may have been caught if Leonard Williams doesn't get his big paw on it, but I don't think it was going anywhere. And I think that was just a really, really smart and savvy play from the rookie. Yeah, it really was. I mean, he had another, he was another person who just, you
2: look at this game overall and you're like, this is another big contributor to the win. And that, you know, the Giants, we obviously talk about having these first and second round picks play like all pros, because that's going to be what takes them over the top. But every roster also needs like the low cost investment that works out and hits big. You know, the Giants had that in 2007 with Ahmad Bradshaw. Kevin boss, the giants had that in 2011 with some players too, that I'm now, that I'm now, you know, I'd have to look back on to really, you know, get into, but every winning roster will have that. And Roche is looking at least now it's still a small sample size and we're hoping it continue, but he's looking at least now like he can be that player for the giants, that really nice find at a really low cost. And so that's great to see fifth series for the giants defense after forcing that three and out. The Raiders actually go on a 10 play 56 yard drive here, but they hold them to a field goal at the end. This is the one where if we're being honest about the situation, I'm pretty Nick. This is the one with a Darren Waller throw, correct in the red zone. Yes. Yeah. So this one, I would say this, if I'm going to be completely objective about it, and it's fair to be objective about these things, we can't just you know, always look at these things with rose colored glasses in my mind. At least this should have been a touchdown. Darren Waller is wide open with, two to three steps on the defensive back and he's taking his first step of separation at the goal line so there's a huge window thrown it's not like it's like he creates a separation but there's the back of the end zone that he has to throw the ball in between i don't know what happened here maybe Derek carr was seeing ghosts like sam darnold (laughs) Or maybe he just was a little antsy in the pocket because the pressure wasn't all of a sudden amazing on this throw. But Derek Carr just airmails this thing, and he misses a wide-open touchdown, and the Giants can hold the Raiders here to another uh, you know, chip shot field goal. So that was something that stood out to me for sure on this drive. But there were some great things on this drive, too. I, The play I wanted to talk about first that I want to get your take on was the second and three from the Giants 14 deeper into this drive. I believe this one was uh, – with 40, or 24 seconds left in the half, I thought Ojolari just did a really good job to for, fight fight through the block and then force Carr off his spot, kill the timing of the play in doing so, make a car, you know Carr escape the structure of the play, and then there's just nothing there once he has to escape here. So that was the play that stood out to me on this drive. Ta- if you want to add anything to that play, go ahead, but otherwise talk about anything that stood out to you on this drive.
1: To kind of start with that third and three pass from Waller, Brad bear just kind of gets beat off the line of scrimmage here. He tries to stab and jam Waller, and he, in doing so, he doesn't necessarily do a great job initiating the contact. He just provides Waller an outside release, streaks right up the field. And you're right, man. Carr, he shies away from impending contact. And I do want to give credit to the linebacker edge stunt from Aziz Ojolari and Reggie Raglan, but the pressure wasn't all up in Carr's face. So that was a surprising, I feel like, miss. It should have easily been a touchdown there. But, hey, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> As we said earlier, I feel like the Giants' defense – You know, they've made a lot of mistakes, but they also haven't benefited from luck. And this was one aspect that I think luck was on their side. I think that's safe safe to say. And then there were were several other interesting aspects to the drive. We saw a lot of too high pre-snap looks that transitioned into middle of the field closed, cover three type of looks. The second and two and first and 15 sequence of plays was interesting. Both too high pre-snap that rotated to cover three buzz with the weak side safety replacing a blitzing linebacker who was Julian Love who, uh, with the MN line of scrimmage acting as a creeper, falling into the flat. So they did that twice. And on the first play, the second and three, Carr noticed Love blitzing and threw Hot to Jalen Rashard out of the backfield on an arrow route for a nice gain. Pass was completed just in front of Logan Ryan, but I loved the slight adjustment from Graham on the very next play after a false start penalty. Graham had Ryan delay his buzz responsibility at the snap, giving the illusion that Carr had to throw Hot once again. Then as Waller started making his way upfield, you know, virtually open it looked like, Ryan darted underneath his route. It was all just bait, and Graham tried trapping Carr. However, the quarterback was a bit too savvy on the play. He waited for Waller to run away from Ryan before finding him for a 20-yard gain as he took a big shot from Quincy Rocher. And this play, again, it didn't necessarily work for the Giants, but I love that subtle little adjustment because a quarterback who may not be as as quick in terms of processing as Carr may fire the football there, seeing that the blitz is coming and, you know, you just saw that the last play. So he's like, oh, they're bringing this blitz again. Let me throw hot again. I had success doing that. And then it would have been undercut intercepted by Logan Ryan. I think that's smart on Patrick Graham's part.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And just good to see from the giants overall here on this drive. Um, All right. We roll forward here. Now the giants at this point roll into the second half here. Uh, and this is the first drive of the second half, actually, for the Raiders. It's the pick six drive with Xavier McKinney jumping the route. One thing that stood out to me on this job, on this drive is, and I talked about this on Twitter yesterday, Nick, this never happens. Like the game, the Giants probably lose this game if a second and seven play that no one's talking about all week, I haven't seen it mentioned once, doesn't happen. And that's Azizo Ojolari running down a screen, which if you look at on the film, look at from that sideline view, has a ton of space ahead of it. If Ojolari does not make this play, I'm almost positive that not only will the Raiders get a first down here, but they're going to get a big game. But regardless, they're going to get the first down. And then they're not forced with a third and seven where they have to throw that out, you know, that they tried to throw us past the sticks on the outside and carr doesn't get it outside enough and McKinney can undercut it for the interception. That play never happens if they're on first and ten there. So I just wanted to give props to Ojolari before we get into obviously the the pick six, which is going to be a fun one to break down. And I'll and I'll and I'll leave the I'll leave the floor to you for that one. I do want to give props to Oziz ojalari for running down that screen because I don't think the pick six happens without it. And if the pick six doesn't happen, I don't think, the, I, I don't think, I know the Giants aren't winning this game.
1: Exactly, dude. I think that's 100% accurate. And it's, it's just such an individual effort by Aziz because he's slanting inside here. This is like a little stunt. You have Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence both penetrating. You're going to bring Aziz Ojalare looping kind of to the A-gap. And he sees, he reads these blocks. He sees Josh Jacobs kind of, you know, casually look like he's going to go and pass protection. And then he sees number 76, the player he's going to engage, kind of move to the right And he just – you could watch. If you're watching the end zone angle, I love it, man, because he just puts his eyes on Josh Jacobs, sees him enter the screen, comes off the block, and just makes the tackle. Huge, huge play that no one's discussing. I think you put it on Twitter, and it definitely deserves to be praised because, again, two-yard gain, you know, not not flashy or anything like that. But these plays, Dexter Lawrence makes them several times. Zizel DeLaurie made it here. I think they're just wildly underrated, especially when the next play was a pick six.
2: Yeah, Ojolar is just such a high-effort player, man. Every time I watch him on film, he's always – he's going to be that kind of player his whole career. And, it's, and that's, the good thing is he's not – like, that's not the only part of his game, right? Like, those full high-effort players who don't have any other aspect of their game aren't going to be long-term fixtures. But he also has good pass-rushing move. He also has a pretty solid get-up and decent edge, bend. And with all – and power. And, like, put them all together, improve in all ways, plus with that motor, he's going to be a player for this team. I'm super – as confident as I am in McKinney, I'm almost equally as confident in Ojalari. It feels really good to say that, that they have these pieces that, on the defense, that in my mind, at least have the upside of potentially becoming all pro-type players. I feel strongly about that with McKinney. Happens a while, and now it's finally center come. And I and I do kind of feel that way with Ojalari. That might be a bit of a stretch to go that far, but I don't know, man. It, he's a fun player to watch, and it's early on for him, and obviously then we lead to the pick six. What do you want to talk about on the pick six play?
1: I love it, man, because... This interception, it came off the same apex blitz pressure we broke down a little bit earlier in the game where McKinney's about 15 yards off the number two receiver. Darnay Holmes blitzes and McKinney just drops down to kind of square up to Hunter Renfro from 15 yards depth, man. That's not easy to do. So Carr thinks he could squeeze this football in and he attempts to throw in replacement of where Holmes just blitzed from kind of throwing hot a little bit here, but the throw could have just been a little bit more outside. I felt like the throw wasn't perfect here, but McKinney, his ability to click and close, read what's happening, stay square and react in a timely manner. It's very, very impressive. And he does all those things and he just kind of runs through Hunter Renfro, like this is my football and you're not going to take it away from me and ends up coming away with this interception here, takes it all the way to the house. I thought that was a just a wildly impressive play from the second year player. And in terms of what was going on up front, it seemed like the Giants looped Rocher inside of Lawrence and Williams as they tried to do with Aziz Ojalari last play that we just broke down. So it seemed like that's something that they were working quite a bit kind of showing the edge, looping him inside, trying to take advantage of the interior offensive line of the Raiders. They showed pressure on this play to the right side before bailing them to coverage at the snap. So Carr's clock may have been a bit accelerated by Patrick Ram's simulated pressure here and the blitz they end up throwing at the Raiders because you can see, man, they're all paying attention to Tay Crowder and Julian Love because they're acting like they're going to blitz. Both of those guys bail. to a creeper pressure. They bring Darnay Holmes on the other side. And the only player there to pick up Darnay Holmes is the running back, which is fine. That's a fine player to pick up. But you can see Carr was expecting pressure from the other side. He gets it from Darnay Holmes' side. He's like, okay, I'm going to get rid of the football where Darnay Holmes just came from. That makes sense, right? NASA, not in Xavier McKinney's world.
2: Yeah, and super athletic play by McKinney, too. I love how he makes the catch transitions. A few things I liked about uh, as far as athleticism goes on that play, not only making the interception, but then pushing off the offensive player to create the separation for the interception return. And just the seamless transfer of the football from the left to the right hand. I don't know. It sounds crazy to, to give props for something like that. But to me, it shows athleticism. We always talk about defensive backs are not receivers. They don't have that kind of athleticism. He has a lot of athleticism, man, to his game. And that's another reason to be excited about him overall, in my mind, at least as a prospect.
1: Very, very much reason to be excited about him. But Dan, he, he ran a 4 6 at the combine.
2: <sighs> yeah. With the, with the, you know, that was the, probably the only reason the Giants are able to get him in the second round, which is nice. To take that. Take those little wins. All right, next drive, the Raider, after the pick six, the Raiders now down. go from up 13-10 to down 17-10 in a game where points were tough to come by. But they do go on a 15-play, 85-yard field goal drive. Again, bend, but don't break. Because in the red zone, the Giants were able to stop then. I want to talk about a super, another super unhelded play in my mind that happened on the final play of this drive. But there's also a few other things that I wanted to talk about on this drive. So let me start by... uh talking uh diving into some of those on and getting your t- and seeing if you have any takes on those and then you can kind of dive into the things that stood out to you on this drive nick because this was a long drive the first one would be the first and 10 play by the raiders this one went for nine yards in my or i'm sorry this one went for 15 yards in my mind here crowder was super slow to react in space like i don't love this at all if you let alex ingold run this kind of route and pick up 15 yards this is alex ingold like i watched him at wisconsin he is not a fast player and his speed is even his speed looks even worse at the NFL level. I think this was kind of an ind- indictment on on the the ceiling for a player like Crowder. I know you liked what you saw from Crowder in this game. I liked it more than what I usually see. I still don't feel very good and confident about him moving forward. I, I still see too many times where he's you know out of position on a player, just simply not making plays. Like this one, he has to make this can't go for 15 yards to a fullback in my mind. I also thought like this was the first drive of the game where and it's something weird because it did improve as we move forward, Nick. But I felt like the tackling was a big issue on this drive. Now, again, end of game, it got better. But, like, for example, on that second and one play from the 32, uh, you know, two plays after that Ingold play, really poor tackling on this 14-yard run. Like, both Bradbury and Logan Ryan missed tackles here. Ryan just completely gets shook off. Bradbury has him dead to right and just somehow misses the tackle here. And then we see it again later in this drive on the first and 10 with a 950 mark in the, in the third quarter, another bad tackle by uh, James Bradbury, just not making the play there uh, you know, where he needs to. And so those were a few of the bad things I saw from this drive. A few of the good things I saw from this drive, the second and one from the Giants 35 with 915 in the third quarter. Uh, really close to an interception by a Jackson on this one Carr just kind of tosses the ball up if a really good job penetrating by Dexter Lawrence. So kudos to Lawrence. And that was close to being another game changing turnover. And then the final thing I wanted to talk about before turning this over to you and your thoughts on this drive was that third and goal play, because this to me was once again, one of the most unheralded plays of the game for the giants, the giants rush three and they drops, uh, eight, I'm sorry, against a five man protection and no matter what, despite that the odds being stacked against them, Leonard Williams gets it, gets through, does a great job penetrating, gets the pressure on Carr and screws up the timing of this play. I honestly feel like if Leonard Williams is not on the field for that play and doesn't make that play, it's a touchdown because if Carr has a little bit more time, he can throw this ball and lead it toward the back pylon on a bit of like a corner type route. It kind of seems like at that point, Waller's improvising on the route, and it's gonna be really hard to stay with him in coverage. But because Williams gets in right in on Carr, Carr kind of has to just throw it immediately. But instead of waiting to kind of hit Waller on the corner and he overthrows him at the end zone. So really underrated play to get pressure with just a three man rush against the five man protection. Always a good thing.
1: Always a great thing, to be honest. And there's a lot to unpack with this drive in in general in terms of my notes. I feel like you touched on a lot of great things. I'm going to try not to be too redundant here. But I think we should probably start with the second and seven and the third and three plays to end the drive because you touched on it a little bit. Both those plays, the Giants ran a variation of the two man buzz we broke down before man coverage across the board, but the safeties playing the goal line, removing the middle of the field. It seemed to be. What they're doing the last two games, it seemed to be pretty successful. And on the second and seven, the cornerbacks used outside leverage, forced everything inside to Logan Ryan and Xavier McKinney. The only defender with inside leverage was Julian Love, who forced Foster Moreau outside with great coverage, just kind of squeezing him to the sideline and and just, you know, putting his head on Derek Carr, feeling him out. Excellent technique from Love there. Carr couldn't find anything. He just scrambled, picked up a few yards to set up the third and three, which was a similar play call, man. Two-man buzz, but with a safety doubling Hunter Renfro as the number two receiver in a three-by-one set with the running back offset to the one receiver side. The other safety, though, Logan Ryan played any inside breaking route coming from either side of the formation. So Ryan ended up undercutting both Kenyon Drake's arrow route and Zay Jones' slant. Against Aaron Robinson. And this gave Waller the one-on-one matchup Carr wanted. But man, you drop eight and Leonard Williams pushes the pocket and uses a great bull rush move to apply pressure despite, like I said, the Giants dropping eight in the coverage. That's that's not something that typically happens. I felt like that was a huge play by Williams, but it was also a good scheme by Graham because Graham all game has used Reggie Ragland with his stunts and used him in pressure here and there. And Reggie Ragland, that's a big reason. His presence was a big reason why the center just kind of ate the, the, the club from Leonard Williams and then allowed the guard to just take on Leonard Williams, and he ignored him because he had to pay attention to Reggie Ragland. So the fact that Ragland's presence was there, even though he didn't end up blitzing, he just ended up dropping in the coverage and undercutting Kenyon Drake's route, that was a reason why Williams was able to get the one-on-one matchup and just bully himself to pressure Derek Carr. I thought that was excellent.
2: That's a great point too. That's something that I wasn't really thinking about, but it's so true when you watch, when you look back on that play, him, just his presence there, just standing there and kind of being like a, not a spy, but almost in like a spy type role undercutting more so than just undercutting, like you said, like quick in breaking routes over the middle. It does at least force the interior of that offense line to consider like, is he going to delay blitz? If he's going to delay blitz, I need to be responsible for this. And that kind of gives that opportunity for Leonard Williams or at least makes that opportunity a bit easier for Leonard Williams. So awesome stuff there. Anything else from you on this drive? Otherwise I do want to ask you about a couple things that I brought up. And one thing I missed.
1: Yeah, I want to bring up a couple, a couple of things as well, especially when that guard maybe expected the center to be there to help him. That could just cause miscommunication, you know? And it looks like that could have been the case because he kind of set to the outside of Leonard Williams a little bit. So that's just another reason why employing your linebackers in this manner is a smart way to manipulate the protection. But on the rest of the drive too, man, we saw Dexter Lawrence annihilate Brandon Parker on the third and one before the Raiders used Marcus Mariota's option play to move the sticks on fourth down. There was more apex blitzes. With Xavier McKinney replacing the defender, Greg Olson, I felt like on this drive made a great adjustment on a five-yard pass to Renfro on their second, first, and 10. Did you end up seeing that? Because, I mean, this is just one of those – I love the chess match of football, man. They kept bringing that apex pressure with Darnay Holmes, and then they did it, and Derek Carr's like, okay, I'm going to have Hunter Renfro stop about five yards down the field because I know Xavier McKinney has to run from 15 yards of depth and we're going to bang this little play out and get an easy five-yard game.
2: Yeah, I definitely saw that as well. Just a nice little cat and mouse game. I wanted to get your take on the first and 15 uh, from the 729 mark in the third quarter. If you could uh, add something to that. Because I was curious on this play. So this is obviously the big gainer to Zay Jones. And this reminded me of some of the ways that the Giants were beat last year in in this type of coverage look, I should say, uh, versus Washington, for example. What what are your thoughts on this play? Why is how Jay Zay Jones was able to get so open on this one, and if this is something they can correct over time?
1: So the Raiders had two by two stacks, and it wasn't tight this time. So they both split out. The field side was on the numbers. The boundary side was about three yards outside of the numbers. So that just basically expanded the linebacker to the apex role, which is not something you want. The Giants are in a nickel defense here, and they end up bringing the field apex defender look at it there, on a blitz because it's something they love to do. They drop Xavier McKinney over the number two in the stack. That's something that hasn't deviated from what Graham was calling a lot of this game. They rotate their safety to the middle of the field, but this just leaves Reggie Ragland as that curl flat defender dropping to a depth, and it's just a mismatch here. There's so much space between Ragland and Tay Crowder as well, kind of spying both sides of the field. So this is just you know, the Giants, in my opinion, weren't in the right defense to defend this formation. And they put Reggie Raglan in a spot where it's almost impossible for him to execute this effectively. Like a lot of people want to knock Raglan for this. I mean, this is not Raglan's game. This is not what you should be asking Reggie Raglan to do.
2: That's fair. I think they just maybe don't have the personnel they need at the second level right now. Um, at linebacker, I mean, I don't think that, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. They need to, they need a talent infusion there for sure. In the offseason, uh, at the second level, regardless of, of what the status of Martinez will be for week one or not, uh, at least in my mind, I'm not obviously not super high on Crowder here, but they get off the field here. Like we talked about earlier on this drive with just allowing that field goal giants then go on a little bit of drive themselves leads to a field goal. And then the Raiders go on an eight play 70 yard drive that results in a 25 yard chip shot missed by Daniel Carlson. Another kind of lucky break for this giants team that needed them never get them. So, you know what, we'll take them. They really feel like you just never get them this year until this, until this game. So what did you take away from this drive? I have a couple takeaways uh, on this drive. I wanted to get your takes first and then I'll dive
1: into it. I'll just start with the first play and we'll bounce stuff off each other, man. I love this first play of the drive. You line up under center, eye formation, act like you're going to run. And then you, you don't even hit the play action, man. You drop back and you, use a strong pump fake to your left to the boundary side which gets that middle of the field safety to flow in that direction and then you have Darren Waller as a Y just release up the field and then through the seam to the opposite side of the field and there's no one around Darren Waller once he catches this football in between three defenders but there's a lot of space there's a big window there because of that strong pump fake I felt like that was a really smart call from Greg Olson
2: yeah, I love that call. I also love that they, you, you so rarely see this today at the NFL level. Have, I feel like the Giants never do this, but it's an under center throw without play action. Just, you know, he just drops back, hits his back foot, and he knows that he knows exactly what he wants to do. This, but what that gains you as an offense when you go under center and you don't run a play action, but you do throw the ball is, you know, it's more of a look that looks like, at least to the defense, like you could be running. You know, if you're in the gun there, it changes things a little bit about how they're going to play you. And that, that team is open in large part of my mind because the defense is playing it a certain way. So I thought that was a great play. One play I wanted to get your take on because, you know, I originally on the, on the recap podcast gave a lot of credit to Logan Ryan and mostly because of the play he made at the end of the game, which saved a Josh Jacobs touchdown and kept points off the board. But ultimately I don't think this was as good of a game from ryan on film if we're going to be completely honest about the situation we talked about last drive some missed tackles i thought he had another really bad uh uh missed tackle on this drive it was the first and 10 for, uh, with 1244 from the giants 32 it was, ended up being a 22 yard gain to Kenyon drake this should have not gone for this long and logan ryan misses the tackle. i know it's not always easy you know to make some of these plays but they, they started to pile up a bit on the rewatch of the tape in my mind
1: yeah, that's one that he definitely has to make. He's coming from a, from depth here, so he has the ability to kind of cut the angle off because the direction of Kenyon Drake is going towards the sideline, so the angle just keeps getting more narrow, more narrow, more narrow, and he goes to hit Drake, and Drake, man, has excellent balance here and kind of squeezes inside of his tackle attempts. He just got to finish that play, and I think you're, you're spot on there. That's that's one that he's definitely missed, and he missed a couple on the previous drive as well.
2: Yeah, unfortunately. Um Though there was a the, the flip back. I mean, the third and six from the Giants 10 with 10 15 in the fourth quarter. He saves a touchdown here with this tackle. I mean, this is just before you saved more than a touchdown. Save seven points. Like they missed, end up missing the um, the field goal. So you can talk about the bad. You can talk about the good. It, it depends what you want to do there. But I do think it was a little worse than I expected on tape uh, when I reviewed it. I wanted to get your take also on the play a little bit earlier in the drive. It was the first and 10 from the Giants 14? I feel like another drive saving play here was made, and this one was by Ogilari just a really great read on this screen this quick hitter um if he obviously he doesn't make the play and tackle but he forces the cutback if he doesn't force that cutback I think this could have been a really big game for the Raiders maybe even a touchdown
1: it could be I mean ogilari just boxes him inside he sets outside if Kenyon Drake gets him back inside that's what you want to do on a lot of plays like this because Typically, on the inside is where all your defenders are, and you have a lot of players in pursuit. That's exactly what he does. And then Reggie Ragland and and uh, I think um, a Giants another Giants defender ends up just colliding on Kenyon Drake for a gain of two yards instead of a bigger gain. So I think this is a low key good play by Azizo Jilara. He had a couple of these during the game. I want to I want to break down that third and sixth play sure. as well because I felt like it was just an excellent individual effort from Logan Ryan. But again, you're in the you're on the goal line right. Giants playing what? Two-man buzz, clogging the middle of the field all game. So the Raiders ran a mesh concept here. And the idea of the mesh is to create traffic. It's a great man beater and possibly inadvertently have one of the two covering defenders because you're running two drags guarding that mesh be picked, allowing the receiving option to be uncovered towards the flat where there theoretically shouldn't be any defenders because it's man coverage. And the Raiders kind of get away just with what they want here because Jacobs, he breaks into the open space with just Ryan to worry about. However, man, and I know we were just talking about the missed tackles, and I feel like all that great points. Ryan does a good job, man, getting outside of Jacobs at the catch point and then boxing him inside, similar to what we just talked about with Ojalari. To all those other defenders and then as Jacobs changes direction takes a little bit of time to change direction Ryan himself ends up just making the tackle right before the sticks about what two or three yards before the sticks. I really like the play call from the Raiders here because you knew the Giants were going to run man coverage because they've been showing you man coverage in this situation so many times on third down and then they run a great man beater something we wished Jason Garrett used a little bit more and then it leads to the field goal attempt because it's played excellently by the Giants. And the field goal is missed, which is excellent for the Giants. But I, I thought it was a uh, a nice play call that didn't necessarily work out for the Raiders and a good individual effort from twenty three.
2: Yeah, without a doubt here. Okay, Giants then obviously uh, you know punt the ball in their next possession. Don't make, don't go too far. And then this next possession, the Raiders get the ball back. Still twenty to sixteen Giants. Um, and the Giants, then this is the play where McKinney comes from the middle of the field to make a really good play for the interception. Anything that stands out to you before the pick that you want to talk about, or did you want to just break down the interception?
1: Yeah, man, it was a good drive to force the interception. Xavier McKinney just did an excellent job from the middle of the field, and this was the out and up that we were talking about here. Because you see Zay Jones, he goes out, gets James Bradbury's hips committed in that direction, then he explodes up, and James Bradbury's out of position here, man. This is a a throw to the boundary. You have a middle-of-the-field safety. It's a zone look. And McKinney, you could see him. He starts to shade towards Bradbury. And once he see Carr's eyes go in that direction, he just makes a line there. And he's tracking the ball the entire time, tracking, tracking, tracking right into his hands to secure the interception, get both feet in bounds. It's a route that he saw earlier. He was able to diagnose it and he put himself into position showing range from a single high look. It's something that you talk about with Kenny Phillips, the single high safety, right? These safeties, don't always possess this type of range. It's rare to find a player like a Malik Hooker who's been injured most of his career but had this type of range in droves at Ohio State, a player like Ed Reed. And I'm not saying Xavier McKinney is that, but when you make plays like this, it's a great starting point in terms of being able to trust him in cover one or in cover three single high type of looks because this is range, athletic ability, and now he's starting to add the ability to diagnose. You'd absolutely love to see this growth.
2: Yep, this is a guy we're excited about. We've 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 waxed poetic about him enough though today. I don't need to double down on anything that you or I already said. So they get the pick. The Giants then turn that short field into a, a field goal only, unfortunately. That's just at this point the state of this the state of this offense. Um and then the Giants give the ball back to the Raiders here. And this is an interesting drive because obviously it ends with glory with the Quincy Roche play. But the Raiders did seem to go right down the field against the Giants with pretty much ease, similar to what I felt like we've seen at the end of the half against Washington, at the end of the half against Denver, you know, at the end of the half and basically all their first six games that led to touchdowns. This one didn't lead to a touchdown or any points. Thanks to Quincy Roche um, and Leonard Williams for recovering that fumble. But what stood out to you on this final drive? And, and did you feel like this was kind of a step in the right direction for the Giants defense in these two minute drills? Cause I'll be honest with you, Nick, I didn't really feel like this was a step in the right direction. I'm happy Roche made the play. It's great that he made the play but I don't know if I can count on a player making this type of massively big turnover strip sack type play on a weekly basis. And I'm a little bit more concerned with just how easy it was for the Raiders to move the football down the field.
1: I would say it's definitely a step in the right direction because they didn't give up the touchdown and they were able to actually force the turnover. So that in and of itself is a step in the right direction. But I get your point because they were able to drive down the field relatively easy. They were in position to score the touchdown here to tie this football game. Like they were right there. They were on the Giants 13 yard line. They were nickel and diamond the New York Giants. They were using bunch formation. They were taking advantage of man coverage. The few times the Giants did use man coverage. They were using a lot of quick passes screen pass They are taking advantage of the cover three looks I felt like the the Raiders offense and Greg Olson were kind of putting things together here and there on this drive I felt like there were a couple solid plays I think Aziz Ojolari earlier in the drive he knocked down a quick pass I thought that was really nice individual effort from Aziz Ojolari and then you had the Quincy Roche play, which is just Quincy Roche taking advantage of Colton Miller, which was an excellent rush by Quincy Roche. I break it down pretty in-depth on Big Blue View if anybody wants to go check it out. I also put up a tweet about it a couple of days ago. But it was just excellent for him to use the double swipe, get to that outside shoulder, bend through the contact, dip that inside shoulder, rip through the outside shoulder of, of Colton Miller. And then he gets Colton Miller on the ground, and then he finishes the play. Man. That's an excellent individual rush by Rocher and then he finishes the play, gets the strip fumble. That is awesome from a kid who was a six-round pick, man. If this was a Von Miller or if this was a top edge rusher in the league, it would be all over ESPN. It would be like, oh, look, Von Miller does what he does. And I'm Obviously not comparing Quincy Rocher to a player like Von Miller, but I'm just saying this type of individual effort, and it wasn't like Colton Miller was just terrible on the play. It was an excellent technique and rep from Rocher. That type of individual effort needs to be praised, and hopefully we could see that more consistently from Roche because that would be an absolute steal.
2: Yeah, man, it's really cool to see. Obviously, the Giants certainly need an edge presence. Um, cheap because <laughs> hard to find. Not every draft has one. Not every draft class has one, I should say. Or has valuable ones, I should say. And they have so many other positions they're going to need to fill via the draft, specifically on the offensive line. They can use free wins like this. I don't feel like they're getting any kind of free win out of Billy Price or Matt Skirt, to be completely honest, long term. Those could be like, you know, decent players that you can put on a bad line um, to help a little bit. But this could be a big win with Roche. And I think he proved that in this game, and he's proven that in the extended snaps and opportunity that he's had with the Giants over the last couple of weeks. So I'm super excited about McKinney. I'm super excited about Ojolari. I'm super excited about excited about Roche. It's good to be excited about a lot of players on this defense. So maybe that's a nice smooth transition into our superlatives of the game. If you want to get us started there on the defensive side of the ball, this one's going to be tough, I know. But can you give me an unheralded player of the game? We've talked all a podcast about unheralded plays of the game. How about an overall player who you thought was better on film than he's being given
1: credit for? I'm going to go with Dexter Lawrence, man. I am. I felt like he came up with a few really nice plays in the run game, and he also had like two pressures, I believe, that come to my mind. One definite pressure, and I feel like there's a negative... Thought process around Dexter Lawrence, and I don't know how justified it is. I guess it would be justified if you're just looking at it from the sense that this is the 17th overall pick. We need more. I think that's a, a solid argument, and I understand that, but that's not Dexter Lawrence's fault. So I, uh, I'm i going to go with Dexter Lawrence because he, he, he comes up quite a bit on film making solid plays.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go with Leonard Williams in this one. It's not that he's an unheralded player overall. Like, obviously, every Giants fan knows him. Everyone knows him. But he's not being given a lot of credit for this win. And outside of McKinney, I think he was the biggest reason the Giants won this game, after watching the film, at least. We talked about the PBU. We talked about the pressure on third downs. Those were two of the bigger plays of the game. Some of the plays he made in the run game where he was the only – like, he was just making plays that that if he doesn't make the play on, I felt like no one else was going to, and it was going to be bad for the Giants. He's the best player on this defense overall. He might've been second by McKinney in this game, but he's one, two or three in every single game that we watch on film. And that's probably good enough for the price that they're paying for him in my mind. And I was skeptical of Leonard Williams contract at the beginning of the year, but overall looking at it, looking at it kind of from just the 30,000 foot view, I'm okay paying that chunk of cap space toward a player like him because this defense would not be the same without him. And it wouldn't be anywhere close. And, he does enough for me on passing downs to make up for, you know, to to, to kind of earn that contract. I guess in my mind, uh, you know, some of these guys are gonna have to get bait. Like it's an the NFL. There's there's a huge chunk of cap space. I mean, it's almost gonna be two hundred over two hundred million soon enough before we know it with the new TV deals. Somebody taking up, you know, what. What would it be? Uh, I guess an eighth of that space. It seems like a lot per year. It definitely does, but he's making a really big impact on these games. So I'm going to give it to Leonard Williams. How about the best individual play from this game?
1: I'm going to go with Xavier McKinney's interception. Yeah. So can I, can I cheat and go with both? And <laughs> if I can't, I'll go with the pick six. I'll go with the pick six. That's this is tough because
2: the pick six was sweet in a lot of ways, but man, his second interception was even cooler. Cause it's from, because of where he started and where he, ended and just being able to kind of look at it from the sense of he knew it was coming. He predicted it was coming. He had seen it before and he, his instincts and his IQ led him to that spot from a position where if Carr sees it before the snap, and even just right after he snaps the ball and gets the football, he's not expecting McKinney to be able to have the range to make a play on this. He feels like he can throw this football 10 out of 10 times, a hundred out of a hundred times, and he might get a big play out of it, but the result instead was a super big play for the Giants that led to three points that they might have not gotten without this play. Like if they have to take the ball back at their own 15 or 20, it might turn into another drive where they grind their way to the 50 with a couple run of nice run plays and then have to punt, which was the case for most of the game. So I'll give it to that one. Though, you know, any of the plays can be called. The, the Quincy Roche play, that was, that's definitely in range, right? You I mean, you wrote it down. I wrote it down. It's a sick individual play by him. All right, best player on film overall.
1: Xavier McKinney.
2: Yeah, this one. I love what Leonard Williams did in this game, but obviously it's Leonard. uh, I mean, I'm sorry. It's Xavier McKinney.
1: Yeah, he was just phenomenal. And we, as you said earlier, waxed a lot of poetic about him, but it's warranted.
2: Yeah, it's 100% warranted with a player like him. All right, give me the player who you watched on film and you felt like, you know, this guy, he's struggling. He's not contributing toward the win. He's actually probably taking away from their chances of winning.
1: I'm going to have to go with Danny Shelton if there is one. And it's mainly – I mean, it was a really bad look, him just getting plowed early in the game on that one on that one rep, man. He just got vertically displaced and put on the deck because I don't know if he didn't anticipate the double-team block or what it was, but you don't expect that from someone like him. You bring him in here to not do that. So when he does it, it kind of defeats the purpose of having him out there on the field. And he only played 10 snaps in this game. I didn't love what I saw from him.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think that's. I mean, he's he's been a whipping boy for the Giants. It's ten snaps, so I, I like. He had the one really really bad one that got blown up on Twitter. Um, and for rightfully so, he's obviously not contributing towards the wins. We were dead wrong about him. Both of us were excited about that signing in the off season, just absolutely dead wrong. Obviously, the Lions knew something we didn't. <laughs> you know, the Giants didn't know. He's not a replacement for Dalvin Tomlinson. Obviously, we didn't think he would be, but he's nowhere close. I mean, he's just somebody you don't really even want on the field at all. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets completely phased out of the defense. For me, for the player, I didn't love what I saw from him on film. Unfortunately for me, again, it's Tate Crowder. I know you liked a little bit what you saw from him. We, we saw it a little bit differently in this game. I, I I just don't see it with Crowder, man. I think he's out of position a lot. I think he picks the wrong spots a lot in the run game. And I think that Alec Engle play was like eye opening to me. Like that play should not go for 15 yards. You can't have a your inside backer giving up 15 yards to the fullback on that play. That should have went for three to four yards. It should have been caught. He drives on it. He tackles. It. That's the end of the story there. That's a two or three or four yard game, and we move on. You just can't be giving up plays like that to a fullback in that spot. In my mind, at least from the spatial from a spatial standpoint, like just just can't happen. Yeah, I, I, I
1: don't. Know. Disagree with you. I, I just think he looked better in run defense in a lot of situations than he has in other games. But or that doesn't necessarily mean I think he had a great game.
2: Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Now you just felt like he had a great game for him,
1: right? There were a couple run plays where he was really decisive, and he forced Josh Jacobs off his spot, and he was where he needed to be in his run fit, which isn't something that he's done consistently throughout the season.
2: That's fair, and I think I think it's it's fair to also say that you know for a starting inside linebacker playing every snap of every game or for any starting defensive player start uh, playing any snap of every game. I don't love setting the bar there. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't love setting the bar at well. Now he's at least doing his job and he's doing his responsibility in the run game. That, that should be almost a given, you know?
1: Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that whatsoever, but I think it was a step in the right direction in terms of run defense, but I'm not going to misconstrue the fact that I mean, you, I know you share the sentiment as well. He's not great in coverage. He wasn't great in coverage last year, and he's not necessarily great in coverage right now either. That Alec Ingle play was, was a good, uh, I guess, a good uh, measuring stick for that because you have to feel that fullback moving out there. You know you're the defender to get out there, and he just didn't, and that ended up being a much bigger gain than it had to be.
2: Yeah, 100%. I think that's really where he's at his worst in coverage. I also, you know, he does some things well. He's an okay tackler, but... I, I don't know. I don't see it with him, man. I really, really hope they see it the same way because I need them to upgrade that position in the offseason. That one is going to be high on my list. I can't wait till we do our personal list of what we want them to upgrade. There's one obvious one. Like we're, we're both clearly going to be going in the direction of the offensive line. That goes without saying, but like this inside backer position to me is going to be high up on my list, man, because I, I want to see better play there, and I think it can really take the defense to the next level.
1: If we go back to the beginning of the season, you said the biggest losses defense would be like Martinez and we're seeing bits and pieces of that kind of play out throughout the season. I really do feel like his presence is missed this giants team feel. I feel like they miss a lot more tackles than they did last year. And uh I don't think that happens if Martinez is there.
2: Yeah. He would clean up so much last year, but it's unfortunate he got injured. What are you going to do? A ton of teams are dealing with injuries right now in my mind, not in my mind. It's the obvious fact. Um, Even though we only cover the giants, we kind of only focus on ours, but How about the pass rush grade one to 10? This feels like it could be our highest graded pass rush game
1: of the season. Is it going to be Nick? Tell the fans now. I'm going to go to 7.9 right here. And I think that's my highest grade, the pass rush, but I would have to have my numbers in front of me. I'm not sure if you have that available.
2: I don't, but I'll do that for the next one. I'll I'll take some time and I'll look at all of our grades from our notes and put them all together so we can kind of even just give a recap uh, of what we've had so far, because that might give a good feel for how, the, how we've seen on film, the pass rush, the run defense, the run blocking, and the pass protection. So we'll do that for the next one. I'd give this pass rush a 7-5. I think that's fair. There were some great individual plays. We've talked about them throughout this podcast. There were also some plays where he had clean pockets, though. So 7-5 feels pretty fair in my mind. How about the run defense?
1: 4.1 for me, for the run defense. I felt like there were a lot of missed tackles on certain drives. I felt like Josh Jacobs was doing a good job finding ways to get yardage and it's not and I don't really think of Josh Jacobs in that manner like I think he's a solid overall NFL running back, probably not one that should have been selected in the first round in, in my opinion, but I felt like in this game he he looked better than I expected him to look. And that's somewhat of a referendum on the run defense. I felt like though in terms of the run defense, they were executing their assignments, but then he would bounce outside to the contained defender and the contained defender, whether it be Trent Harris or whether it was a secondary piece coming down, didn't always make the tackle, whether that was Logan Ryan or a Dory Jackson who had, I think a missed tackle or two as well. James Bradbury had a missed tackle or two, maybe even more. So I I would have to go with a a 4.1.
2: I think that's fair. I would say, You know, this was something I noticed on film. I didn't notice it on, and I didn't talk about it on the reaction podcast. And that's on me. You know, I didn't do a great job of noticing it, but the tackling on film was a lot worse than I expected it to be. I think this was one of the worst games of the season for the Giants from a tackling standpoint. I don't know how much of that I can factor into the run defense grade because they did win at the point of attack too in a lot of spots. And you did have some great individual run plays from guys like Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, even like you said, Dave Crowder had a couple. So it's hard for me to factor both those things in, but I'll give it a three, five because again, Jacob's got a lot of yards, a lot more yards than he should have in my mind, due in large part to some of the poor tackling issues, with the giants. And that's something that they can fix. I think
1: it, it is. And I think the, actually, ironically enough, the, and this, obviously these two things aren't, uh, related in my mind, but the only game that may have had worse tackling was the saints game. And they won both of them.
2: Right? <laughs> yeah, That is true. They were there was another game of poor tackling.
1: Very poor tackling. If they didn't yeah. win that game, we would have been like, oh, wow, they, they quit. You know, it would have been a terrible narrative because Taysom Hill was running through. People. He was just
2: barreling guys in the red zone. The tackling was really bad in the red zone in that game.
1: Yeah, dude, it was, it was atrocious, man. It, w- it was not a great look. And uh, I remember a lot of missed tackles in that game as well. Yeah, that might even be worse. That's interesting to think about.
2: All right, that's all we have for today on the All 22 recap of a great performance by the Giants defense. Three and six now heading into the bye week, but the schedule gets a lot easier. And hopefully the Giants can find a way to do it and grind into that seventh spot. And I don't even want them to grind. But let's say – let's 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 change the narrative. Hopefully they can find a way to open up this offense with Andrew Thomas back in the lineup and with Tony healthier and start to be a team that wins games outright and wins games with scoring a lot of touchdowns and creating a lot of explosive plays to go along with this bend-don't-break defense because that seems like a really nice combo to me if the Giants can find that at some point in 2021 – Let's hope they do because it'll be fun if they can make some kind of run toward the playoffs and then not only like make the run toward that 17 and get the 17, but get it in a little bit different fashion. That's kind of what my goal would be for the rest of the season, Nick. I'm curious if that aligns anywhere close with what your goal is. My goal would not be to have games like this one and just come out with wins and then find a way into that 7th seed, but, you know, walk into a playoff game with a 23 point cap for, you know, what the Giants could score. And this one, I mean, it was 17, 13. It was, you know, 10 was by the defense. So, you know, I don't want to have the cap of we're going to score a touchdown, one touchdown a game, two or three field goals and hope for a defensive touchdown. I want to go into the playoffs with our offense can put up points. Our offense can put up two to three to four touchdowns maybe per game, and they make a lot of explosive plays. That's what I'm looking for mostly in the second half.
1: And I'm looking for the offense to just figure it out. And I think we could probably even do like a whole podcast on on things that that we hope to see in the second half because there's a lot. And a lot of it is hopefully a lot of these skill position players get more healthy. Stone Shepard, Terry Stoney. Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley, all those guys, including, if you want to throw in some of those offensive linemen as well, especially Andrew Thomas, and what that can do for this offense. But I think in order for that to happen, this offense needs to reevaluate their approach during the bye week. A lot of teams say they do that. I'm not 100% confident that it's going to lead to a lot of profound changes because that hasn't necessarily been something we've seen consistently with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett, but it's a hope of mine. <laughs> so that's 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 the hope for me.
2: Yeah, it's a hope. They did just to be fair though and objective about it, they did say they were going to completely retool their offense in the offseason, they were going to break the film down, look at what went wrong and change a lot. That hasn't been the case so far in the first half of the season. Again, you know, people will make the excuses and some and it's fair to some extent that the offensive line makes it impossible, I guess, but you know, some of it seems like there we've gone over plenty of ways that little changes they can make to really improve this offense and Let's hope they make some of those changes cuz that's all we want. We just want this team to go in with excitement, right? Like those 2007 and 2011 even less so than 2011 cuz they won the division in 2011, but that 2017 team, it might have been a wild card team, but when they hit the playoffs, they were hot and we felt like there was a chance they could make a run. I want if we get to the playoffs, I want to feel like there's a chance they can make a run. I don't want to feel like they won some 23 to, th- to 17 games where they had some things break their way and the 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 rest of the NFC was so bad so they got the 7th seed. That's not to me that's not really a full sign of progress or not the progress I'm looking for personally with this team I I set the bar higher and I know I set a high bar I understand that and I understand some fans don't like that or something or they don't you know they don't feel like it's fair to set a high bar for this team but I don't think if you're rooting for a team you should be setting the bar any lower man we should all be setting a high bar that we want this team to compete for a Super Bowl not compete to just uh make the playoffs because ultimately that's that's what brings the most fun 2011 run the 2007 run that's when things were at their best and we were all our happiest being fans of the Giants so let's hope they can do it they have the pieces in place I feel like honestly man if they could fix if they could just get that Saints game like pass protection and then change their whole mindset on what they want to do on offense two things that are well within their reach like both things could potentially happen there's nothing holding them back in my mind uh from happening besides health in one case and philosophy in the second case but those things can be changed, so we'll see if they do it in the second half, Nick. Let's hope, bro. All right. Thanks again for everybody tuning in. You know where to find us. You know where to, how to help us. Leave us ratings and reviews. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Be on the lookout because we've got two good podcasts coming up during the bye week. The first is going to be a midseason point evaluation of Daniel Jones on tape from Mark Schofield. Uh, Obviously, one of the best quarterback evaluators in the game. We've had him on the podcast three times already. He's broken down Jones every time. We know a lot of you love that pod and look forward to it. So be happy. There's another one coming this coming week. And we, me and Nick are already crafting up questions we want to know about Daniel Jones from his standpoint. It's always good to get an outside perspective. Me and Nick, all we really do is watch Daniel Jones on film. We none of us really neither of us have the time to watch like 31 other quarterbacks on film so we're not we don't really have a reference point but mark watches all the quarterbacks on film so he actually has a nice reference point i think it's good to get an outside objective um perspective on daniel jones from people who don't cover the team also we're going to do a mailbag we haven't done a mailbag in a while so i'll send a tweet at some point soon be on the lookout for that tweet send us any questions you want answered on the mailbag and we'll get a big big mailbag rolling. so have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon